that you, Ed? It is I. In my Our... cabin. My last hours. Really? You're spending them with me? Not my last hours, generally. My just... Yeah, yeah. My last cabin hours. Do you hope someday to spend your actual last hours in a, in a cabin? I like to spend my last hours outside. Yeah? Or in line for something. <laughs> what what will you be in line with? Like ice cream or, or four shaved ice. <laughs> last hours to be in line for shaved ice. You'll be you'll be dying in 1938 then. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, maybe I maybe that's when I did die, John. And <laughs> this is all some crazy last minute. Uh, Bridge uh, over the River Kwai dream. That's not the name of it. The occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the occurrence at the bridge over the River Kwai. So you go. It's at the end. Uh, someone's going to blow up the the shaved ice chop. Isn't that what happens in Bridge Over the River Kwai? <laughs> they... He has to blow up his own bridge, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or gets to. I mean, it's the enemy's bridge that he's built. Uh. You know what I'm doing right now? Looking it up. No, I'm not. I actually, I'm actually putting on Facebook that we are uh, now taping. I'm, I, I'm going through the motions of like saying, "Hey, we're recording episode 62. What did you eat this week?" And think in the thinking that you know, the eight people who are allowed to see it without us paying for it will uh, contribute to the podcast. They used to do this. People used to contribute more. Back when Facebook used to actually show them what we said. That's right. That's right. Did anybody chime in last week with their uh, their eatings? Let's see. Any eatings chimes? This segment is called eatings chimes. Uh, uh, Alice um, Alice Boland said, "Has John tried any delicious ramen recipes?" Little did she know mm-hmm. I was in fact talking about that. And then she 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 sent the recipe. Yeah. Did, have you tried uh, it? Twitter device. I haven't. I've been eating very, very, uh, uh, very little here in the cabin because uh, I would have to go to the grocery store up here, and it's Mountain Resort grocery store prices. Oh. Jill accidentally bought a seven-dollar loaf of bread when she was here. <laughs> Wasn't a special loaf of bread; it was just a loaf of bread, unmarked for its price. You would think this is probably equivalent to other loaves of bread that I've known in its pricing: seven dollars. <laughs> Was it good? Stale. <laughs> because it had been sitting there for a <laughs> long time because all the locals knew and how much it cost. That's that $7 loaf. Yeah. Stay away from that. I was uh, a, a, a younger friend was over here, someone who was not settled into a lucrative career such as the creation <laughs> of literary, literary fiction. Uh, and I had provided some some tasty chips you're uh, showing some, off your piles of money yeah well by by giving uh where the gold is by providing garden of Eaton red hot blues mm. and uh my friend said well, lennon just buys whatever chips he wants <laughs> <laughs> okay. but i realized yes i do now you know i remember being 25 and uh not uh not being able to buy the chips i wanted see i think uh i'll take that maserati <laughs> that Stradivarius and uh, that Quagga, <laughs> that herd of Quagga, and these uh, red hot and blues. <laughs> Send the bill to me. <laughs> Put it on my Discover card. No, wait, uh, do you take Diners Club? <laughs> is that still a thing? I think technically it is. That was the first credit card. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Sounds like it. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what the first thing is often of a of a thing. I don't think people know very often. There's a there's a debate going on. It, it's been raging for some time between Ithaca and a couple of other towns, all of whom think that uh, the ice cream sundae was invented here, mm-hmm. and. Everyone has their evidence to support it, but the problem with a lot of things is there aren't many really novel ideas. 
ideas that are so novel that you have to, you know, it's possible to say, yes, this is definitely the beginning of this thing. That mm -hmm. uh, the idea of putting more than one scoop of ice cream in a dish and putting some chocolate or caramel sauce over it and maybe uh, some whipped cream and a cherry. This is the, if you have those things in your house, you're going to come yeah. up with that, you know? Yeah. It's not innovative. I think I invented the ice cream sandwich a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and I also invented the ham sandwich. Um, and uh, I think I invented uh, uh, two in the morning standing at the refrigerator eating cheese. Another thing I invented. Culinary. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I told you my one of my all-time favorite uh, author photos is uh, of my friend Bruce Smith, um, and it's of him eating an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> um, my other, my, I think I might have talked about this in the podcast before. My other favorite is the one of uh, uh, Ian Fraser uh, getting off an airplane in a trench coat and waving, <laughs> looking like a visiting visiting uh, dignitary or something. Mm -hmm. Oh, it looks like uh, Bruce Bruce the poet is not the the primary um, the primary Bruce Bruce Smith. Bruce Smith. There's a football player. Mm -hmm. As soon as you put the word poet in there, though, it all changes. It simplifies. Yeah, I'm going to send you this. I'm going to send you this picture on the uh, on the Skype. It's, I, it's great. I, I like his poetry a great deal. Yeah, me too. I like Ian Fraser's book. I, I'm still. I think the best book I've read in the last year is his uh, several years old um, Travels in Siberia. I talked about it. Yeah, I still months. haven't read it. I have to confess. Yeah, it's sticking, sticking with me. Mostly the, the, uh, the book that I've had to accompany me here in Idlewild has been a book of maritime and nautical mysteries. Yeah. Like dis disappearing islands. Uh, vanishing boats, ghost ships. Ooh! Just little, like three or four paragraphs about each, and then moving on. Um, if it if it had a, a little more literary style, it would would be in the vein of of uh, um, the Evan Cannell books, yeah, uh, or Robert Burton's, you know, Anatomy of Melancholy, instead of just a collection of thrilling tales of of. Ships lost at sea. Uh, morgue boats. Morgue boats. Well, it's like a, a a boat of dead, a boat of the dead. You know, uh, a lot of vanishing islands. I like it. It it puts me in the mind of the um, the Evan Cannell books you recommended to me all those years ago. The nonfiction, yeah. Mm -hmm. Great books. Great books. They are. I'm trying to send you a. Uh, I'm trying Bruce to send Smith you this. Bruce eating an ice cream. Yeah, I am, but. Um, it does. Oh, here, here we go. Here we go. It should be should be coming through Oop. now. You get you get a little bloop. It did. It's nice when you get a little bloop from a friend. It is. It's like my friend sent me something. Have you ever actually tried to make an ice cream sandwich? Yeah. Well, out of um, hard. Out of waffles or cookies, I have. Out of cookies. Yeah. Cookies. Yeah. Well, it's not hard. Why is it hard? What did the cookies break? Oh, well, it was difficult when we tried it. <laughs> How are you doing it? Well, there's, there's there's a lot of steps in temperature control. I mean, to really make it right, I guess you could get a cold cookie and put some ice cream be between uh, scoop of ice cream between two cookies. You're having trouble even, ice cream even, sandwich. Even talking about it, but <laughs> I guess that's the easy way to do it. But the the, the ice cream what has other to be way is there? What? <laughs> the ice cream has to be a little melty, yeah, and the cookie can't be fresh out of the oven. Okay, okay, yeah. that's what you did. In other words, well, we had. I think we were, and then we were trying to make use fresh cookies and ice cream, and then sort of you know mold them together and then refreeze them, right? And so it's not just like oh. you're making it just for now. Oh, I see. Like, I think I'm gonna have an ice cream sandwich. I'm gonna go get a cookie and ice cream and make and put them together and eat them like a like you would a s'more, like it's an event. <laughs> but no, like making. Uh, um, Making a bunch of them for later, you yeah, know, for a summer picnic. <laughs> difficult, okay, extraordinarily I, difficult. I I admit that is a challenge. Yeah. Oh, not one of these devil may care <laughs> ice cream sandwiches on the go. <laughs> anyway, just throw it together using whatever cookie you have and whatever ice cream you have. 
<laughs> planning it out. Uh, so you know what I, uh, you know what I'm into right now. It hasn't come. It's it's still transmitting. It's I'll blooped, just, but it's not. I'll send you a web link instead. Skype is not the ideal. Um, there you go. It's not the ideal way to send um, objects. Okay, you got the you got the web link now. Yeah. Ah, that's a good picture. He Isn't seems it? to really be enjoy. He's display. It's not like he's been caught eating the ice cream. Oh no! Sandwich. It's not a uh, um, a candid. <laughs> the gr- the great American poet is saying, "Look what I have here." Yeah, I got it. I got. It. Did you get an ice cream sandwich? I got an ice cream. Sandwich. <laughs> One of my favorite moments of the um, it's like it's his Irish setter of the writers' conference this year was late night at the bar. Um. I was with a bunch of friends, and one of them, you, you can imagine which one, uh, needed to go out for cigarettes. So me and my friend Amber went with her to pick up some cigarettes at the convenience store. And Amber and I bought ice cream sandwiches and realized, as we were going back to the bar, that we should not eat them on the way. We should get to the, we should get to the bar where ice cream sandwiches are not available mm-hmm. and just, uh, you know. Really relish un- them. Really, re- you know, unwrap them in front of everybody and... You know, make make moaning noises as we as we ate the delicious ice cream, and man, people were people were agog. It was great. Did they all rush out like they would in some commercial. No, they actually didn't care that much. They didn't care. Yeah. All right, you sent me some uh, uh, World Wide Web links. No, I, I wanted to. I just wanted to fling a couple of book recommendations at you in the poetry vein, since we okay. already mentioned a poet. This is called Rome by Dorothy Alasky. Very good book. Yeah, I've read her and, and like her, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen this book she's yet. Getting better and better. Yeah. Yeah, she's got a poem in there called "I Am Eddie Murphy." I don't think I have a copy of it. Let me see if I can. Is that in how the? Come, uh... How come uh, Norton doesn't? I'm looking at the page for this book, and there's a description of it, but there's no poems. Why not put poems. a poem or two on on the on there? Norton. Well, Norton. it's a it's a top it's a tip top operation, John, as you know. <laughs> Norton. How generous and freewheeling they are. <laughs> and the other the other book, which willing I, to take I, I, chances, <laughs> is uh, Julie Claire Tillinghast. Yeah, um, really good little book called. Um, what Bible stands for. Basic instructions before leaving Earth. It's a chapbook. Uh, from, from Snoot Books. Yeah, but it's got a bunch of poems in it. Chapbooks yeah, have, chap have come to be pretty indistinguishable from books in yeah. poetry. They're very frequently 40 or 50 pages. You know, that's, a full, book. That, that's a book. That's, that's a book. Yeah, that's two books. So um, what, what do you want to tell me about these? Do you have a Lasky poem for me? I'd like to, I think I have it here. I'd like to read you her poem called I Am Eddie Murphy. Okay. Which uh, was was published in another magazine. I'll send you that link. This is one of the craziest poems I have read in my life. I Am Eddie Murphy. Girl, I heard that you got a place where you tell jokes, a la Eddie Murphy, 1985. But how do you do that? I am Eddie Murphy. I heard <laughs> that you do wine tastings with Eddie Murphy in the, vi- in the vineyards of Italia. And I am confused. I am not there. I am Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I am snorting cocaine off of tanned Italian backsides while 10 young men suck my gigantic dick for 200 <laughs> hours. Do you eat a fine steak dinner with Eddie Murphy? But I am still hungry. And it is 4 a.m. on the west side. I'm going home to my majestic marble linoleum. I tell the jokes here. And if you want to come to my house, introduce yourself first. Don't just go walking in and telling the people you know them. Or you are the one they have been waiting for. They aren't waiting for anything. I make royalties on my sort of thing. I give them what they need. We are brethren. We are together. This is not about you. 
You write a punchline, go up in front of the crowd, say, I am the thing that makes you turn. But honey, it is a lie when you do it. You are the person outside the house. I am the one gracious enough to let you in. That's great. <laughs> and totally that crazy. Totally crazy. Totally crazy. Makes, makes sense after a, a while. I am well, Eddie Murphy. You're not Eddie Murphy. I'm Eddie Murphy. It reminds me a bit of that uh, great uh, Steve Martin movie, uh, Bowfinger. Remember that movie yeah. where the Eddie, Eddie Murphy plays a, a version of Eddie Murphy? Uh, Two versions. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He plays a, yeah, a version of, of, of the Eddie Murphy, and then he also plays his uh, um, brother, his nerdy brother. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Somehow he restrains from dressing up like a big fat lady and farting <laughs> as he's done in other films. It must but be very hard to not to do resist, that. To resist doing that. When yeah. that's a thing you can do. Once you've done uh, it. Give me why don't you? I will I'll definitely link to that poem in the notes. Um do you have a Julie Claire Tillingast uh, poem for me? I buy books every time we do a podcast. I end up buying books, Ed. Mm -hmm. as, you, as you should. And I know that uh, um, some other people do too. People have generally liked some of the poems we've been throwing at them. By the way, your hatred of the human race uh, last week seemed to um, seem to <laughs> one of our more popular podcast features ever. I somehow uh, that, that struck a chord with people. I didn't know that we had had such such a hateful uh, listenership. Like you know, I hate the human race too. <laughs> hey, and this guy it, on the podcast hates everybody. If you, if you if you isolate just that phrase, it makes it sound um, it made it sound really negative. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, by the way, I wrote that blurb. <laughs> Which I blurb? wrote the blurb for the gentleman. Oh, you did! <laughs> and I sent it to him, and it was entirely pleasant. Do you, do you want to read it on the air? No. <laughs> You're not proud of it? <laughs> I, I did say that it, it, it contains the, um, the smell of Southern California bodies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the smell of bodies. Very good. <laughs> well, the guy, the guy's, he's not the worst poet ever. You know, he just happened to happens to think that uh, think that that was an important thing to say to me while I was changing a diaper. <laughs> it really had nothing to do with the blurbing. It was really I was changing a diaper, and don't bother me when I'm changing a diaper. This poem is called Banquet by Julia Claire Tillingast. Hast, let me. Is, is it uh, on the internet? Hast. Hmm? Can our uh, listeners go and go and click a link and want to send that to me? You bet. <laughs> I think this is in the chat book. Okay. Banquet. This is a, she's a poet from uh, uh, Portland. Being in love can be like having a dinner party. And that you go out and buy or cut all these flowers for other people. And then you wake up in the quiet on top of your covers and tights and your mouth full of your own flowers. Outside my house, there is Eastern European music full of accordions and cymbals, bells cracking against the sidewalk, sparks of whippersnappers, the stars a warm brown and the hot black of the night. Come over, please. The only reason I let myself swim under the dark water with my eyes closed, breathing this other man's creamy, sky-like skin, is because no one who really loves exactly, no one who really loves exactly what he or she has, just exactly as is ever, just exactly <laughs> as is ever, has to say he or she loves what she has, exactly as is. And I believe if I fall asleep drinking the nectar of pollen, out of the hollow necks of trumpets, which are flowers, calling you, you will come to my house and drink what I have to give. I love how it uh, ties itself in, in knots uh, with one-syllable words late in, the, uh, late in the poem there. 
I like it. I like it. I'll, I'm going to buy these books now. Damn it. I don't they're need more books. They're, they're I need not money. <laughs> Send me some money. Yeah. <laughs> does some this book have books. a? Does it have a twenty dollar bill in between the pages? Because yeah, that's my, the kind of book I I've like. Heard. <laughs> I've heard that they all, that all both of these books have hundreds of dollars hidden in them. So you know what? Um, I came up with. I mean, I'm sure it's not. I'm not the first person to do this. It's it's probably a common exercise, but. I uh, came up with a, a, a way into a new style of writing and have written a bunch of things that are more more like poems than not. Uh, they take the form of stories, but they kind of read like prose poems. Uh, and that is to find a, a text in a language I don't understand at all mm-hmm. and translate it according mm-hmm. to what mm-hmm. what f- comes to mind as I'm as I'm looking at these. What words. this word so, form looks like, it might be in English. Exactly. And, and, and that, that doesn't just mean like tr- transliterating it, like sort of saying it aloud and writing the sounds, the sounds down, more of like, here's something that this sentence might mean. And uh, it's proven to, be, proven to be a great way to end up with new, new types of sentences and new vocabulary that I wouldn't, wouldn't ordinarily use. I would so, think so. Uh, and, gets, gets a little and, silly sometimes. It gets super silly. It's super silly all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, super silly all the time is my new face tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> it reads down like text. Super silly all the time. <laughs> oh my god! Do it, do it. I'll do it. But I'm actually, I it. actually, I actually want to. You're an unemployed forty-two-year-old man. You can do whatever the hell you want. I can get a face tattoo. I'll go on disability. It's great. <laughs> You're gonna make a goddamn ice cream sandwich in your own home with your face tattoo, and no one's gonna stop you. Super silly all the like time, such, motherfuckers. I felt like, like such an asshole when I saw that written out. There's nothing true about that statement, no, except for being unemployed, not. and I'm actually 43. <laughs> the, only, the only true fact in there were were, were man, and that's sometimes debatable, and uh, unemployed. <laughs> it's one thing to blurt something out and another thing to see it on Twitter uh, a couple of days later. So true, as, yeah. as so many have learned. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually going to read you one of these things I did because I'm excited about it. You know what it kind of reminds me of is those um, – remember we did the uh, um, poet poems for five bucks thing at Montana where people would give us some things they wanted a poem written about and we would sit there with typewriters and bang it out as quickly as we possibly could. Yeah, uh, actual and, typewriters. It was it. It wasn't just Valentine's Day. I remember doing it on Valentine's Day. Yeah, we did it a couple of times. Once was Valentine's Day, and then we we did it again for something else. Was it a fundraiser for buttered toast? I think that's what it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a fundraiser for the the buttered toast society reading Sorry. series. Um, I want one question about these. So, are they? Are you looking at texts that are in the, um, whatever we is it the Latin alphabet? Or are you looking yeah. at things that are in like Cyrillic or? I got a I got a good one out of Cyrillic actually because it's it's evocative enough of English words that I could make something of it. In fact, Cyrillic is kind of perfect. Um, at the moment, I'm going through as many different languages as possible to see what kind of different stuff I come up with. Um, I haven't tried like Arabic writing yet because it's so very different. But maybe I will. Maybe that. I mean. I feel like I'm not even keeping track of what the original text was because it doesn't matter. It's it's just nothing even really yeah, close matter. to it. Yeah, and I'm skipping around too. I'll like skip forward if I get bored and then just grab some more. Um, so it's just a way of making myself do a weird thing. But um, but uh, yeah, the Cyrillic worked well. This one, the one I'll read you is from Icelandic. I think it's an well. And here's the other thing. I started out by just going around the the Cornell uh, Graduate Library. Olin Library, just looking for foreign language, literature in foreign languages, and brought it back to my office and Xeroxed a bunch of pages. And um, and have been going off of those. But now I realize that I can just use, as long as I don't, I don't know what it means, so it doesn't have to be correct, so I might as well just Google Translate some English yeah. into whatever language I want and go off of that. So a, f- a few of the <laughs> ones that I have did uh, yesterday are just <laughs> Donald Bartlemay stories that I... That I translated with Google, and then I'm going, you know, and then I'm just going off of. So perfect, perfect. 
This is from this was from Icelandic. Uh, Stein lacked the Vulcan stare. He plucked at his natty kimono. <laughs> I was pretty. I was pretty at seventeen, but that's nothing. For several minutes, he just blundered around with his coffee, the same gait as an itchy swan. There's solar rings around the sun, vibrating. It's my vocation, this bunkum. My poor naive folks, they thought pot roast and gummy worms were a sin. My pet line was really a fidgety pup. I knew that. Then its colon burst, and my eye lost its gleam. Eventually, I joined a pack, a mega gang. He paused to take a draft from the samovar. Pets are like humans. They got arms, legs, heads, a tail. He hefted his hands pensively. Hey, for honest, fuck you. Give an osprey for a kite, a kite for a sheepdog. That goes for veterans or orphans. I'll poke that smirk off your set list. He flashed his lucre, hopped in his jaguar, and fried eggs out over the greasy cape. I love it. Was that piranist? Like one who is in, who uh, who traffics in piranhas? Is that one no. of the words? No, I, li- <laughs> I like that word, but no. Uh, mm-hmm. Where are you getting that? Sound like you said piranhist or pot roast. Pot, pot before roast. Osprey. Before Osprey. Oh, f- hey, for honest. <laughs> for honest. The, Fuck you. The piranhist. Yeah. <laughs> Feel free to use Piranist. You could have a whole a subgenre of literature that's made of uh, mishearing me reading my fake translations. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. Oh, that's fantastic. And Welsh is I got I got a good one out of Welsh too. I think this was from a Welsh. The Welsh is all short. consonants, right? Pretty much all. There's consonants. a lot of lot of consonants doing things that only verbs or only uh, vowels should do. Right. It's unnatural. Uh, but I think I belatedly realized that this is some sort of grammar guide, a grammar um, book. The girlfriend's cybernetic double glided into the foyer, mewling a question. Define question, I said. Unfazed, she flailed about the front room, plunged into the garden. She said, define I. Define you and I. Define new love. I declared the cyborgs wed, and her hair faded, and she vanished, starting with the feet. I declared the cyborgs wed. <laughs> so great. fun. Oh, good. And these, and these uh, you just sent me some Tilling-ass poems, and they're on uh, Pank, which is a magazine I want to submit to, or I have and have been rejected from. Well, this, then this is the, things, the sort of thing that you should send them. Can I read this one, one, one poem? Yeah. <clears throat> Looking at the picture he sent me of his cock, I sent him his cock back. Now he has two imprints of his fingers, wrapping himself in light in a lit box in his pocket. Dear grandmother, here where we are, it is hard to lose things. What I mean is, he gave me this picture of a... I like that it's a dear grandmother. He gave me this picture of a part of his body. But instead of giving it up, now we both have it. There are three copies. When I text it to him now, no matter how many times you open a photo like this, you're at least static electricity shocked when it appears after buffering. I had to stare for an additional 20 minutes because normally my eyes skip like flat stones looking for somewhere to sink and rest. It's like stumbling over a hilt from the Civil War in an English garden or mast along the supposed edge of the earth. An erection always means danger, even if the threat is silk in the distance, like the rumor of smoke in the woods after a storm. Am I making this sound like Andy Rooney? I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to speak ill of the dead. In the pic, his fingers grip the back of an animal, tensing for rain. I write in metaphors, not because I can't just talk about a dick, but because my body has feelings. And the art of those feelings is what graffiti. Does shame always shadow after sex, or is shame itself what's erotic? All of this is all of that at once. I don't throw anything away in my mind, either. When I asked how he liked getting that picture of himself back, he said he liked to think of me looking at it. Something makes my lips go dry, and I remember that my mouth is there, that my tongue can silver. Nice. It's a good poem, although as I was reading it, I was... I realized I was sort of reading it sort of in Andy Andy Rooney cadences. Yeah, naturally. There's sort of an argument to it. I, I send him his cock back. 
I'm like the picture he sent me of his cock. I send him his cock back. <laughs> now he has two imprints of his fingers wrapping himself in light in a lit box in his pocket. <laughs> I could see him sitting in his little office. <laughs> <laughs> When he's really old and like difficult to look at, and there's papers everywhere, and smell the old man stink. <laughs> did, did, was that an that accurate Andy is. Rooney? By the way, I didn't even realize I remembered what he sounded like until yeah, I started. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right, good, good. Yeah. I don't want to misrepresent either Julia Claire Tillingast or Andy Rooney. That's no, not what don't. I'm here for. Oh, that'll bring on the haters. So, Ed, do you, do you, um, I, I was thinking, you know, I was, ha- I'm having so much fun doing this little project, um, because it's so different from what I usually do that I wonder why I don't like more, take more of the exercises that I force on my students and do them myself. Um, do you, do you, do you limit your, do you have, what are some of your limitation tricks? How do you enter into new, I don't know, what would you say? Uh, not new forms, but new uh, sort of literary frames of reference or what have you. What little games are you playing with yourself, Ed, that no, make you know. write poetry? I mean, it's uh, when I was, you know, from age nine to 40, the way I'd write <laughs> is I would just write, you know, f- fill up notebooks and then, then look at, at what I'd written and, you know, pull some poems out of it, you know, instead of, you know, okay, now I'm going to write a poem start to finish. Um, but since Oscar was born, I may have already talked about this. Um, I'll spend a couple of weeks thinking about a poem that maybe, um, you know, a subject in a way of, in, in a, you know, a form, um, and, where it might go, how it might develop. And then when I have two hours, like during daycare or something, um, I'll jot it down already, you know, pretty well formed. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference. Um, yeah, well, I, I do think that the uh, people haven't talked much about this, especially not men, the effect that having a child has on the the way your your mental energy is organized and dispersed and the boxes you have to shove your creative life into and how that in some ways changes what you write in interesting ways. Oh, I mean my well, whole yeah, book of yeah. my whole yeah. book of short really short stories the came anecdotes. from yeah. For, yeah, it came from He's... from kidnaps. Kidnaps yeah. Oh child's no. the napping of a child. Statute of limitation has surely run out on kidnapping, John. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That was back in 01 I was writing that. So, <laughs> Yeah, I remember that and, and being uh, um, uh, impressed by it. One of the nice things about having you as a friend and, and a, a few other uh, friends I have who are writers um, is in addition to the normal pleasures of friendship is getting to be perpetually astonished by what you can do. And that anecdotes was one. It's like, oh, oh I... Man. How are John and Rian gonna, uh, you know? How's this gonna affect them having kids? Because you you had you had the kids pretty young compared to a lot yeah. of our, our kids, and uh, of course it did affect both of you. Um, but uh, you you turned it around. You flipped the script, you know, and <laughs> and ended up with a, with, with a very fine book. You know? Thank you. That you wouldn't have written anything like that if you had had if you'd just been you know, a layabout with a typewriter. Yeah. And I, I, I thank you for saying that. I appreciate it, but it's, I, I do think it's important for, you know, I try, try to get this across to students too, that there are lots of, there are always reasons that your writing is going to be hampered. You know, there are always forces in the world that want to stop you. Um, but uh, it's useful to not think of them as such sometimes they are such and there's nothing you can do about it but sometimes you can you can subvert them you can you can refuse to be put down by them or you can you can co-opt them yeah you can co-opt co-opt those things i remember for a while i was feeling really scattered and restless and just you know jumping from 
from idea to idea, and, and like even in the notebook, it was hard to find a a line. And then I, I uh, the strategy that I, I still use, and I encourage students to do this, is I would write three poems simultaneously, like write a line of one, like have three notebooks open, and go line of line one of poem A, line one of poem B, line one of poem C, line two poem A, line two poem B and C. Um, which sort of satisfied my restlessness, my mind's restlessness. And I mean, the mind is the creative thing. So if, it, if my, my imagination wanted to be restless, I, 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 instead of fighting that, I thought, well, I'll allow it to be restless. I'll give it different things to do um, and let it go from, from, from thing to thing um, while still making progress. Um, and so sort of co-opting my mind's restlessness. And uh, that really worked well for a few years until I think my mind was a little less restless. Yeah. Uh, you know, let it be restless. Your mind wanders, let it wander. You only I remember have, seeing you. You only have 30 um, minutes to write. Write, you know, write like hell for 30 minutes. Yeah, write the, write the kind of thing you write in 30 minutes in 30 minutes instead yeah. of fa- failing to write the thing you write in five hours in 30 minutes. I think that was the, that was the thing that, uh, when I got frustrated when our kids were little, that was why. It was because there was a particular thing that I wanted to work on because I'm I'm that way. You know, I have a project and I want to finish the project and I dedicate myself to it and anything that gets in my way is irritating. But I think uh, having one of the advantages of having kids was it f- forced me to realize I don't get to have what I want. But if I am yeah. not a jerk about it, I could get something else. Yeah. You know, something else is being offered. Absolutely. So speaking of notebooks, did you see – I can't remember. Did we talk about this week? Um, last week uh, I published this piece on this website, The Cramped. Did I did not see this. this? Oh, okay. Well, I don't think so. I'll send you a link. Um, so there's this new website called The Cramped, um, and it is – uh, edited by and mostly written by this guy, um, uh, Patrick Roan, uh, who's who in tech circles is is pretty well known. He's got a website called The Minimal Mac, uh, and he's very much into having a minimal workspace. And uh, hold on, I'm sending you the link now. And uh, um, and often talks about how to use technology in an efficient way. Mm-hmm. And uh, he started this new thing that's about his love of uh analog writing tools uh including of course pens and notebooks and oh, typewriters pens. and so on so i was i was writing to him saying you know i would love to write something for you because i really liked it he said and i said do you want to see like a can i just riff on how i write right now because i've written as you know i just recently got back into notebooks and pens and stuff and i'm doing a lot of first drafts and in, by hand <laughs> And he said, yeah, go ahead. So I, I wrote this piece called Always Open to the Possibility. Sometime of in the early 2000s, people stopped asking me whether or not I wrote on a computer. Yeah. Yeah. Did that happen to you too? I suppose. I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. I've always, I've always had a, a, a complex relationship with, uh, with the, the romance of writing. You know, there's nothing I hate more than some writers saying, every day I go into my office and I just bleed onto my typewriter. I think that's directly a Paul Oster quote. But um, because (laughs) for a long time I had a lot of uh, investment in the idea that uh, my work was tool agnostic, right? Because I wrote a whole novel longhand and it didn't really come out any differently than i thought it would have had i just written it on a computer but uh and uh but maybe i'm wrong about that maybe it does kind of matter what i write things on i don't know i've i've been writing part of my novel on in notebooks now and um i have a whole extra draft now where i am copying stuff from the notebook into the into the file into the word file uh except that of course it's changing on the way because when you do something bad it's very hard to type it again you know, it's hard to write write the same shitty thing a second time. Uh, but anyway, I'll put this uh, I'll put this link in the notes. Um, well, I think it's a difference. I mean, on the night plane, your novel, I think the the um, it has a different tone. I mean, it's it's you know, it's period, and you're 
trying to, and it's very different from your other books for a lot of reasons. But I think it has, of all your books, maybe the most elegant style, like on the sentence and paragraph level. Um, uh, they're sort of consciously elegant, the way that one might. So that sort of matches writing longhand. Well, that's that's interesting thought. I, you know, I it could be that for I I attribute differences in style to other other things going on in my head, but it's there's got to there's got to be some. There's a connection. The, I mean, the, the the writing has to have some effect. I guess that I'm just so... is very frenetic all the way through. You and know, was, frantic. Was, I mean, it yeah. matches what's going on in Albert's head, but um, I, it's hard to it's hard be hard to imagine you writing mailman longhand and writing it the same way. Also, yeah. that's a lot more pages. It's a lot more ink. It's like three <laughs> times the size. So yeah. writing this piece. Um, Got me. There's a bit in there where I talk about um, the typewriters I used to use, um, including you know the old ro- stand, you know Royal upright typewriter my parents had, and then later um, Olivetti's and and uh, uh, and Selectric, you know electric typewriters. And I remember, you know, you, you remember the balls that you that you'd mm-hmm. install in them to change the typeface of the typewriter. Switch it for italic or yeah. Yeah. So. I was thinking of I was thinking about those typefaces and the way they used to look on the page and ended up finding this great typeface called uh triplicate which is designed by a guy named Matthew Butterick and I actually bought it uh it is inspired by these old typewriter balls and uh, mm-hmm. but it adds you know modern things like like um curly quotes and and so on uh, it, and he, it's a monospace font that he designed for coding. So there's a variation of it specifically for coding, you know, with slashed zeros and an L that doesn't look like a one. Uh, but I have switched this this book. This book I'm sort of stealthily writing of very short, odd fiction pieces. I've changed it to this typeface, and now I'm super excited about it again. And I want to add to it so that I can see myself writing with this typeface. So, uh, but then anyway, um, so I realized that where you buy a triplicate is attached to a website called practicaltypography.com. And if you go to the main page, this guy, Butterick, has written a book and published it as a series of web pages uh, that's sort of a primer on typography and how manuscripts should look and what spacing you should use and what fonts you should use and the conventions of things like. Uh, you know, accented characters, hard line breaks, carriage returns, non-breaking hyphens. And it's, I highly recommend this. I'm going to make it required reading for, this is going to be a text for my creative writing classes that um, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's highly opinionated and he says things and, you know, he talks in a very funny, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of uh, almost arrogant way about it. But, um, but it's incredibly informative and so he's a type designer who's also talking about how to lay things out on the page. And I think that yeah. we're, students aren't thinking about this because we are sending each other doc files now, which I think is an improvement on giving each other paper in that it's efficient and uh, you don't have to go to a particular place to pick it up. But um, when other people load it onto their own computers – the typeface, if the typeface is not available, it changes to a different typeface. The formatting changes according to how the settings on your word processor, and it doesn't look the way it looked for the writer. So I, mean, I actually want to write a piece on this, a little manifesto about this. I think students should be submitting their manuscripts. We should all be submitting manuscripts to magazines, too, as PDFs. We should make, we should render PDFs of the designed pages the way we want our manuscripts to look in the typefaces we want them to look so that we have a, you know, we have a, a style, you know, it's easy to print PDFs. Now it used to take right. ages to print a PDF, but, um, but uh, so I've, I've taken it upon myself to do this. Now I only submit to magazines and PDFs and it annoys people because then if they publish it, they, you, then they need a doc file, which is fine. But, um, and, and but I realize gonna that go into, you, it's going to go into their own style and their own, but uh, you presented it. I think uh, this is uh, one of the lines from 
Robert Bringhurst's Elements of Typography, another book on typography, um, another Bible on typography that I used. And I used it, uh, <clears throat> we spent several weeks on typography when I taught the prosody class at University of Montana a few years ago. Because I, yeah. I think that it's a, it's a kind of prosody. I mean, it's the, the, the outer logic of, of, the, of a poem's presentation should match the inner logic of the poem. Sure. Both on the page and I think when one reads, it's a similar, similar thing. You, the, the, there's an outer logic, which is what we see, and if it doesn't match or if it's not sympathetic with the, the inner logic of the work, then something's thrown off. Always the, the diminishment of the work, even though it may look nice. You know. Yeah. I want to read that. You want what's to read what? what? What's what's the uh, uh, type, the type designers blog? What's the site? Oh, practicaltypography.com. Practical Carol, typography. Do you want me? To... Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, th- I figured you would have found it here. I'm I'm sending it to you. Um. Yeah, and it's it's laid out in his own typefaces. Basically, the, the um the first link you can click on it is typography in 10 minutes. He says, this is a bold claim, but I stand behind it. If you learn and follow these five typography rules, you will be a better typographer than 95% of professional writers and 70% of professional designers. The rest of this book will raise you to the 99th percentile in both categories. (laughs) All it takes is 10 minutes, five minutes to read these rules once, then five minutes to read them again. Ready? Go. And uh, he goes on to talk about the formatting your body text, point size, line spacing, line length, and choice of fonts. And then at the end, he says, that's it. As you put these five rules to work, you'll notice your document starting to look more like professionally published material. Then if you're ready for a little more, try the summary of key rules. And if you're ready for a lot more, start at the foreword and keep reading. Um, and, they're, and they're good suggestions, right? They're sort of a basis for presenting text in either, he's mostly talking about Web, the web and web design, um, but it's applicable to to print as well. Uh, that you you know balanced, elegantly presented text, and from there you can develop a, a a personal style. Never choose Times New Roman or Arial, as these fonts are favored only by the apathetic and sloppy. <laughs> not by typographers, not by you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's a there's a kind of there's a kind of arrogant writing that uh is pleasurable because it invites you to join in. He's saying, you know, you can be this you're you're one of us. You're one of the people who does not create a shitty web page. Yeah. Um in uh in Bringhurst's elements of typography, he, he goes into that that mode sometimes. Um uh, I don't think I can find it now, um, but it's something along the lines of of uh, if you know somebody who would uh, um, you know kern a word this way uh, would just as soon steal your sheep. <laughs> the, the moral dimension of typography choices, you know, like somebody who would do this never trust of never trust somebody who would, you know. Well, there's there's something. That tone in other contexts often annoys me, right? Because when when it when you're talking about hair splitting differences, the tiny details of the way life is lived, say in an academic department, it's very irritating when people. It can be irritating when people uh, state things as though they are fact, established fact, rather than largely meaningless opinion. Uh, but once you can sort of uh, wiggle your way down into that. Uh, into the the matrix of that sort of intense yeah. specificity and nerdiness, it is as delightful a thing as you can imagine. I, 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 I just, I just like the idea that somebody cares so much about about mm-hmm. something that a lot of people don't notice at all. I'll tell you, Scotland, Scotland's love affair with Papyrus and Comic Sans is is ongoing. <laughs> Has not changed in the two years I was away from Scotland. In in like a flyers for lost dogs or everything. Um, uh, you know, like uh, signs hang- hanging on businesses, mm-hmm. like shop windows, menus. Uh, you know, any any sort of any any 
place where a person or organization is is showing a public face to the world, Papyrus and Comic Sans are very popular. Very popular. The menu, yeah. Uh, well, that's like often the like the main courses will be in Papyrus, or the word menu will be, but then the kids section will be in in Comic Sans, right? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. like the kids meals. Because the kids are funny. Do they use Coca Pelli font? <laughs> is that a font? It's it is it's it's like Comic Sans except it it uh, uh, it's terrible. It's another terrible front. <laughs> there was a Onion non article, one of those you know, just one of those things that just is a photo with one line under it. Years and years ago, and I think it was something like Santa Fe resident all Coca Pellied out. <laughs> and I have to say, I am often I'm often Coca Pellied out. If you I think it's a, it is a net a net good if you're the kind of person or you become the kind of person who notices the small details of the way the world is designed. Yeah. It gives you a lot can give you a lot of pleasure, but it can give you a hell of a lot of pain. More pain than pleasure really if you're not careful. Um well you see the lack of imagination that goes into most things. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes you hate the human race. <laughs> what uh what are you gonna have for lunch that's a good question man um i gotta take is everybody, is everybody home is everybody, is everybody when everybody's home do you all do you all eat lunch together if everybody happens to be home or is it all sandwiches in various corners uh sandwiches in corners mostly it's rare the main reason we don't do that is that owen usually has breakfast at around 11:30. He's late, not, he right. doesn't get out of bed until late. Um whereas the rest of us are up and around before that. So he he's off by a meal. Mm-hmm. Um and also he doesn't you have to kind of you kind of have to force him to eat. He doesn't it doesn't occur to him to eat food uh-huh. usually. Uh so it throws things off. Dinner on the other hand we usually eat together. It's un, it's it is unusual for us not to eat dinner altogether. Yeah. I would think that he would enjoy eating food because it gives you a chance to work the habones. Yeah, he does love to work the habone. <laughs> that's that's true. Uh. <laughs> uh, what are y'all going to have for dinner? Saturday? Saturday evening supper? Mm, Kill the fatted chicken? No, steak night. Date. Date night. Oh, date night. We'll be eating dates. Regular no. place. Yeah. Well, last week we went to the regular place. This week we might do something different. But um, Ooh. I don't. Know. We usually picnic. Oh no, restaurant. We don't want no, to. No picnic. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. We don't want to endure any effort. For a picnic. Oh, I would. I would. But she doesn't want to do that. She doesn't want to sit on the ground. She doesn't want to eat food on the ground like an animal. Mm-hmm. Like a quagga. <laughs> like a quagga. <laughs> We're known for their picnicking. I am going, uh, I'm leaving Ottawa today. The, yeah. My two poetry students will be reading their work at 10. And then um, and then I will have already checked out of my cabin and I'm going to go down to Los Angeles, California. Uh, pick up my Excellent. friend Cooper. And uh, we're going to try to drive to at least Sacramento by oh. the time we shut our eyes this evening. And I'll and uh, tomorrow on up to um, Portland, where he'll fly back. Sounds like a, a fun trip. This is is Cooper the painter? No, Cooper's um, uh, in, in the advertising business. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, I think you he might have come to a reading. Of, I think he's come to your readings in Los Angeles. He's been there about ten years. Yeah. Um, high school friend. Good, uh, good car companion, I think, because he'll just talk the whole time. He'll talk Excellent. the whole. <laughs> he'll even drive. On the drive down, with uh, uh, Matthew Dickman drove down with me, um, and he <clears throat> is a, a great talker, but not a driver. So he doesn't drive. Doesn't drive. He knows how, but he didn't feel comfortable driving. Yeah. So you want to have a car companion who can take the wheel. But on the drive down, I think I told you that we cooked on the engine manifold. No, you didn't. We did some car cooking. Really? We did. We experimented. Do you, 
Do you have that old that book, uh, Manifold Destiny? No, I, I I looked at it online. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. I've got seen a copy. The, the book. You have it presently. Yeah, we haven't done. We haven't done it though. We haven't. Uh, we haven't tried it. So how did it work? What did you? You need, what did you, long, cook? you need a you need a long drive for it to work, right? And the more modern, more contemporary the car, the more efficient it is in conserving its heat. So it's become more difficult. So my my 2008 Toyota Highlander, um, the the the. It, we were not able in 800 miles to cook um, uh, to cook to to eating our um, kebabs, our steak kebabs. <laughs> they were they were like jerky on the outside and still raw on the inside. <laughs> but uh, we did threw a couple of ears of corn in there, wrapped them in foil. And yeah. and after uh, about 500 miles, they were perfect. The really? Perfect. There's no reason if you're going on if you're going to drive more than 400 miles, there's no reason not to at the end of that trip have a nice little corn snack straight from the end. <laughs> it's so good, you know. You you you've been driving. You're kind of tired, but you're proud of the distance that you've covered. And pop the hood. Un. Un, uh, unsheath the corn and stand around your car and eat corn and congratulate yourselves. <laughs> Do you, um, did you stop halfway to turn them? We stopped a lot to check on it. Well, I was also worried that it was going to, you know, <clears throat> fall into the engine or get caught in a fan <laughs> or burn. So, so we stopped a lot to just to check to check on i had a meat thermometer that, uh, <laughs> good <laughs> that laughed at us you know um and uh so i want to try it again though i think i might try something small that cooks faster like uh like a, a fillet of sole yeah a thin fillet of sole sole on its crispy bone yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> up. And, I, and i think that might that might cook uh adequately in 300 miles or shrimp yeah. something you know do you have do risky you, seafood in the engine manifold because um, it spoils more quickly but i think uh i think it was a constant enough temperature um, if you uh if you still had your old volvo you would be able to do this a little more efficiently i bet i could cook eight course meals because i think it was not very <laughs> it, it, it's it's uh provided a nice oven I you think. could drive to the supermarket. You could buy the ingredients, put them on the manifold, and have the meal ready before you got home. Yeah. Well, that Volvo is still in the hands of Jack McCrone. Good. Believe. Good. I trust that Troll Hunter is in good hands. I'm. Uh, looks like I'm going to go back to Missoula for the old book tour. Very nice. This will be Missoula? November. Yeah, up? sometime in a, I don't have the dates yet, but it was it's looking like Missoula, Spokane, Portland, Seattle, or Seattle, Portland, and then uh, L.A. and San Francisco, Lawrence, yep. Kansas again. Very good. Very good. Uh, looks like it might happen. Uh, New York, and Boston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When is it finished yet? Brand new, I believe. I believe they've had the grand opening. I think so. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And now uh, Patricia Lockwood and her husband have moved there and uh, said that they would uh, they would help mobilize uh, listeners, I suppose. To uh, Lawrence. Have you read her? I haven't read her book yet, her new book. I read her Popeye book, bet. but you bet I've read it. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised. She's so so hilarious. Yeah, and and you know significant and meaningful and serious and crazy at the same time. <laughs> I mean, no, I've never read anything like it, you know? And I think it's, it's not just because of her, her, uh, her excellent use of Twitter. I think just, you know, I think they'll, she's going to find a, a big audience for a long time. Yeah, I, I uh, I'm looking forward to it. Exciting to think uh, of the so, shelf of Lockwood books. It, there will be one, and she's got a memoir coming out too, doesn't she? I think so. Or 
in prog in progress. By the way, um, we did get uh, one one person apparently. Twenty nine people were reached by my post that said we're recording episode sixty two. What did you eat this week? Uh, twenty nine <laughs> out of our four hundred like likeists. But one of the people that reached was Alice, and she says, "Ed, explain they too tired." To John. <laughs> Too tired. Oh my goodness. This was on um, This American Life about a month ago. Um, but it's in the outtakes of a live This American Life show. It's a <laughs> comedian telling a story that I think wasn't used on, on the radio. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll find the link. It is the, the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the uh, uh yes the the, the the question is is the, the, the question is why don't and forgive me for using the word why don't doctors like sleepy bitches <laughs> they're too tired <laughs> they're too tired and, and Alice had just heard that, I think, on the drive up to Idlewild, <laughs> and not the rest of the context. And the rest of the context hardly explains it. You know. <laughs> I didn't realize that doctors had had a problem with that category of person. Well, she's trying. One friend is trying to keep the other from from uh, falling asleep in, the, in an emergency room. Has she been concussed? Um, she's been concussed. Yeah. Um, I see that I have the transcript here. I must have the audio. It's uh, Sashir Zamata is the comedian. Yeah. Um, you send me that link, boy. I send me that. Listen. That uh, Abraham Here's the listening to the audio. This is boring. I know. It's so, so boring. It's so tedious. Oh. So boring. <laughs> I found it. Um, anyway, so uh, I'm going on a long drive. What are you doing for the rest of the weekend? Going to the Jersey Shore, my friend. Oh, that's right. The annual Shore... Shore Fest. Yep. Same place, same house. Uh yeah. Yeah. Same place. One disturbing detail. Maybe I I don't know if I should uh I'll just, I'll just say it on the podcast. My I had a conversation with my mother. Uh we had the sleeping arrangements are a little complicated because it's a big house, but we we have an even bigger family. So and some of the children the children are older now and they want some privacy and they you know, don't want to be cooped up with their parents or with each other. And so there's a lot of jockeying for position in terms of who gets which rooms. And uh, my brother, who is single, he has a room with two beds, and he usually shares a room with Toby. <laughs> and sometimes there's some debate about whether Owen is also going to be in a air mattress in there or if he's going to stay with us. Or So there's always some discussion about it. So I was talking to my mother on the phone, and she said, oh, well, your brother will be... Your brother will be at the shore by Monday or Tuesday. So you better work out what the sleeping arrangements will be because I we don't want another fight like last year. And I said, really? What Was fight? That... And she said, well, she said the two of you were screaming at each other in the kitchen about it. And I said, no, I don't think so. And she said, yes, uh, you were screaming. And I said, mom, we are not screaming. All right, well, all right, just work it out. Just work it out. So I immediately emailed my brother, and uh, he had he had no idea what she was talking about. This I'm pretty sure this didn't happen because I can't imagine ever feeling that passionately about this. It's of no it's of no consequence at all. Um, and my brother said, "I haven't screamed at you since 1988." <laughs> he remembers it. Yeah, <laughs> but maybe we're in a maybe we're we were in a share a shared fugue state or something. But I think what really happened is. This kind of even mild disagreements among family members 
caused my mom to feel very anxious. And in oh. her in her memory, she oh. she this this mi- mildly awkward magnified. conversation became a became magnified in her in her memory. The battle of of, of twenty thirteen. Yeah, all right. So I've got this link. I'll put it in the notes and listen to it. Uh, the thing is, listen to it. It's, it's um, it's it's like the very. It starts at. This link starts at Act Four. I think was the the, the yeah. part that wasn't on the air. Um, and uh, Samir, I forgot her name. A comedian I want to look more into. It's hilarious. Just the dialogue. It's acted out. Uh, Sashir Zamata. Sashir Zamata. Hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. I can't do it justice. But it had us in okay, stitches. Cool. Had us in stitches for a week. <laughs> yeah. All right, great. Maybe we should save it, uh, download this as a podcast, and uh, uh, listen to it in the car on the way to the shore. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. You'll enjoy it. yeah. They're too tired. So, uh, <laughs> you want to wrap this thing up? Let's wrap it up. Have a good time at the shore. Yeah. Um, watch out for Chris Christie. I heard he's always down there. <laughs> All right. Haunt, haunting the bridges. Stabbing people with a with a fish hook. You want to go over this bridge? I might close this one too. You better watch yourself because I might close this one too. This hallway between the bathroom and your bedroom is closed. <laughs> it's closed. It's closed. Sorry, the hallway's closed. Oh, that path, the pathway to your the pathway to your dreams is closed. I'm sorry, <laughs> you'll have to lie awake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ed, safe travels. I'll talk to you soon. Will you pass the salt? I will not pass the salt. Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Well, then we'll give you some lunch. It's time for lunch box with